Well, aren't you glad you came already? Beautiful music, and well done, as a reminder that God is the God who gave us music. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, He is the God who sings over us. Now, everybody has their own favorite style of music. So if classical and hymns is yours, go for it. <laughs> you know, enjoy it. Drink it in, right? Um, about a week ago now, 10 days ago now, Nancy and I made the long trip to Windsor, Ontario in that foreign land. Uh, the land of my birth, okay? And we went to hear a guy named Bill Gaither. Anybody ever heard of him? Uh, he messed Christian music up big time, you know? Uh, people actually call some of the stuff he wrote hymns. Uh, they're not. But they're gospel songs, and they're good. And a lot of us like them, okay? And so we were listening to all that, and it was like the 70s all over again. Um, but I don't want to stay there, okay? As much as I loved it, as much as I loved it, as much as I want to listen to it, our God never changes. Styles do. I don't wear the same stuff I wore in 1975. Aren't you glad? I had some awesome Madras plaid pants, I must say. All right? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? I don't drive what I drove in 1975, although maybe I wish I could, you know. I had a nice candy apple red Mustang. Mm -mm -mm. But anyway, uh, those were the days. But it doesn't, life goes on, right? God is unchanging. Life changes. Styles change. The way we express our faith changes, but God never changes. And so classical music, the great hymns and the tunes that uh, especially they came from, those are a reminder of the uh, historic, changeless. There's, a, there's actually a theological word for the unchanging nature of God, the immutability of God. He is the same. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, anybody know the rest? Today and forever. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad? That means that the same God that was revealed to us in Jesus Christ in New Testament times, that same God is here with us today by the power of His Holy Spirit. And the promises that He gave us in His Scripture are timeless and true. They are as true today as they were when they were first written. That's amazing to me. That means when the Bible says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that, that when that was written, that was true, and it is still true. Why? Because it's based on the character of God. That's what I love about that verse. God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. It's not about how bad I feel or how deeply I repent, though I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin and self to Christ. But it isn't about me or how I pray. It is about God and how He hears and answers. He is unchanging. His word is true yesterday, today, and forever. It's like the Scripture in Revelation chapter 3 that says, If anyone hears my voice, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, there's a promise. It says, I will come in. And when that Scripture was given to us in the book of Revelation, it was true. And guess what? It's still true. 
so that if there's anyone here who has never come to that moment of personal faith where you open the door of your life to Christ, uh, you can. You can do it today. And guess what? He will come in. Our God is an unchanging God. He is a faithful God. His word is true. True today. True forever. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. This is our God. So, today we're here to remember that the very first words in the Bible are not once upon a time. It is not a fairy tale. We didn't make it up. It is in the beginning, God. And that makes all the difference. We, we, we follow in a tradition of truth. There is historical truth to the person and, and uh, ministry of Jesus Christ. He was real. He was born in Bethlehem. He walked the dusty roads of Galilee. He lived a perfect life. He taught and healed like no one ever taught. And he gave his life for us through the one perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It really happened, friends. Which is why when we close our service, we're going to invite everyone here who has faith in Christ to participate in the Lord's Supper. And then think about that. The Lord's Supper, where did that come from? You know, did, um, did the leadership board of our church kind of make this up a few years back? Say, well, let's do, you know, let's do this little ceremony deal with some bread and some juice, you know. Uh, no, we didn't think it up. You know, you can't, you can't go back, say, 200 years uh, or three to the, to the original Methodists. You know, they didn't make it up, right? Who gave it to us? <laughs> Remember, in church, the right answer is always Jesus. <laughs> All right? Uh, who gave us the Lord's Supper? Jesus did. It was his idea. And so, now think about this one. When you take a piece of bread, and we're going to do intinction today, so we'll take the bread and dip it in the cup and eat it, and then by doing that, take both the, the bread and the juice together. When we do that, we are doing something that believers in Christ have done for 2,000 years plus. All around the world, in all countries and, and cultures, today, today there are millions of believers in, on planet Earth who will do exactly what we're going to do to remember Jesus Christ, and we're part of that. Now, that's not something I think about often enough. If you're like me, you're part of this culture we live in, and, you know, it's all about right now, right? About me and my friends and our church. And so if I'm not careful, I reduce my understanding of Christianity to just kind of my personal experience right now. Now, there's tension in that because my personal experience of Jesus Christ right now is very important. I mean, I, I, I can't... Um, adopt my parents' faith, though my parents were wonderful Christians. I had to make my own decision, right? Right? I, 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 I couldn't, though my grandmother was a, on my mother's side, was a wonderful godly woman. I, that decision she made does not make me a Christian. Uh, go, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Did you know that? It's like, you know, if you lived in a garage, it wouldn't make you a car. 
uh, just showing up at church doesn't make you a Christian. There is this personal, uh, individual moment of faith when I receive Christ, when I confess my sins and trust in Christ, give my life to Him, to love Him and follow Him. I think it's important to remember that. And you know, it's not just a sort of mental assent. Sure, I believe in God. And yeah, I'm a Christian. It's, it's much more than that. Uh, it's, I want to love you. I want to be a passionate, personal follower of yours. I want to figure out what it is you want with my life, and I want to do it with all my heart. That's what being a Christian is. So it's individual and it's personal, but it's also um, got this historical context to it. I'm not just running my individual sprint of faith. I'm part of a relay. And though I made my own decision to follow Christ, there are centuries, generation after generation after generation of Christ followers who are wonderful examples to me. And so today I want to just think about them. I want to honor them. I want to ask what part of the legacy of faith from people who have gone before me do I want to live out as an expression of my own love and trust in Christ? I was thinking about some of the heroes of the faith, at least for me. One of them is still alive, Billy Graham, born 1918, converted to Christ at age 16 in 1934. A great preacher of the Christian gospel, inviting people to give their lives individually, personally to Christ, to be born again. Uh, What a great preacher, what a great man. Uh, Soon he will be with the Lord, but for now he's still with us and we're thankful. I want that spirit that cares enough about other people to share Christ with them, I want that spirit in me too. I want that in our church too, don't you? That we would be people who proclaim the message that Billy Graham has proclaimed all these years. I think back before that to someone you might not all know by name, but uh, we're in his... uh, debt today. His name was Benjamin Titus Roberts, born in 1823, trained as an attorney, served as an exceptional pastor in the Methodist Episcopal Church, especially in the Buffalo, New York area, but came to be convinced that the church was compromising, that it had adopted worldly ways, that it had forgotten what he called original Methodism, holiness of heart and life, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and B.T. Roberts, because he advocated for change, was expelled from the Methodist Episcopal Church, and a new group was formed in 1860 in Pekin, New York, just outside Niagara Falls, New York, and they called themselves the Free Methodist Church, because they said, we want to be free to follow Christ uh, without any uh, hierarchy determining how we'll worship or what the pastor will preach. We want to be free to follow Christ. We shouldn't hold slaves. We shouldn't treat anybody as less than. Everyone should be free. And so we are in his debt today. And I hope and pray that our church still has that passion. Free to follow Christ. Free to love anyone, any color, any language, anywhere who will follow Christ with us. In Christ we are one in him. Amen? Amen. We want that in our church and in our lives. And of course, back before uh, B.T. Roberts in the beginning of the Free Methodist Church was 
the legacy of John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement. About three weeks ago now, Nancy and I were in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, You probably wish you were there with us, (laughs) given the weather. You know what I'm saying? It was warm that day. And uh, we were, we took a little tour around town and they took us to one of the city squares. There's like 30 of them there, and one of them has a statue of John Wesley. And the tour guide said, oh, this is the statue in honor of John Wesley who preached here in 1735 or whatever the exact date was. And I went, I know that story. It wasn't exactly the story he was telling because he was telling what a wonderful ministry John Wesley had. That was the failure of John Wesley that led him back to England, back to Aldersgate Street and begging God for a fresh experience because he felt like he had failed in the Americas. Like his preaching had been empty and he saw the Moravian Christians on the ship back and he said, God, I want what they have. And he says his heart was strangely warmed. He had a personal experience with the Spirit of God that changed his life and changed the course of history as he went and said, you know, we ought to take the gospel outside the church walls. We ought, to, we ought to get out there where there are needy and hurting people. And if, if we want to preach and the, the crowd is too big uh, to put inside a building, we'll preach in the open air. And so John Wesley began this revival movement under the Spirit of God. And his brother Charles wrote the songs that went with John's preaching. He wrote 6,000 hymns. Uh, can you imagine? Uh, a thousand or so were pretty lame. But uh, 5,000 are pretty cool. Uh, (laughs) You have to blame my seminary professor for that one, okay? Um, We have about 150 of his hymns that remain to this day and are a great legacy of the Christian faith. Um, John and Charles Wesley taking the gospel to the streets, reminding us that our God is the God of the poor and the lonely and the lost. And we stand in their heritage. Then I thought about uh, Martin Luther prior to that, who in 1517 published his 95 theses, a protest against the excesses of the Roman Catholic Church. Not that the church was all wrong, but that it had lost its way. That you could pay for your sins in dollars and cents that you could buy forgiveness from the church. And he began what we now call the Protestant movement. And one of his greatest contributions to the faith was his his, uh, call to the church to be true to sola scriptura. The scripture alone. If the Bible doesn't teach it for salvation, we don't require it. And guess what? We believe that today. Sola scriptura the legacy of Martin Luther. Then you go back to the early church fathers. In the last 20 years, I've learned more about the first 200 years of Christianity than I ever had before. Uh, When I was young, I didn't have time for history. Anybody identify with that? Uh, I didn't want to read a whole bunch of stuff by dead guys. And and so I kind of blew it all off. Then, actually, when Nancy and I went to minister in Spokane, Washington, it's like a missionary outpost out west. And uh, while we were there, I got to meet a, uh, a college professor 
brilliant man. And, uh, his book on grieving is probably the best uh, that I've read in, ever. Uh, but he has another book, a new book called Water from a Deep Well. And Jerry Sitzer wrote about all the early church traditions and what each of them can teach us. And among those he wrote about was a man named John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom is a Greek word and it means golden mouth. And it was his nickname because he was such a fabulous preacher. They said anyone who heard him uh, thought he'd be the greatest preacher ever in history. I don't think anyone will accuse me of Christosna. This is not my nickname, right? And it's not my nickname. But I love it that it was his nickname and that his legacy of preaching. And so um, it's a really fascinating story. He, he traveled and preached uh, in the Mediterranean and his reputation spread. And the mayor of Constantinople wanted to have the leader of the church there to be the greatest preacher he could find. And so he sent soldiers and they kidnapped John Chrysostom. And they dragged him, literally dragged him to, uh, to Constantinople and installed him as bishop of the church, whether he wanted it or not. Can you believe it? <laughs> and, uh, and he accepted it as the will of God. And his writing and preaching is amazing to this day. A man who just said, uh, I will serve God whenever, wherever, however, God, I'm yours. I love that. Well, you can go back. You can go back to uh, my wife, Nancy, loves the story of Polycarp. Uh, 150 AD, part of the Roman Empire, a follower of Christ, a, a great pastor and teacher, loved by the people in the community around uh, just one of those very special, loving, gracious men of God who, when the emperor of Rome heard about him, sent soldiers to arrest him, put him in prison, and said he had to recant because he was teaching that there was only one true God and that God was not the emperor, and the emperor claimed divinity. And so they went to Polycarp and they said, we're going to give you a month. We're going to put you in, in a prison cell and we're going to let you think about this. We're going to let you pray about this and so that you have time to recant. So they would check with him and check with him and the story is that as the day of his impending execution approached, they begged him. You know, non-believers loved him so much. They said, would you please, please just deny your faith. We don't want to have to do this. And the famous statement, I have served him these 86 years and he has been so good to me, I cannot turn against my king and my savior. And they lit the flames and he gave his life. And I don't know, but I'm in that, I'm in that legacy of faith. I stand in the legacy of people who gave their lives because they followed Jesus who would do anything, anywhere, anytime that they believed to be the will of God to serve him and to spread the power of the gospel of Christ. That's who we are, friends. And so today, on Classical Sunday, we remember that it wasn't just people in bygone days who had these convictions that were given to them by God through the power of his Holy Spirit. This is our faith. Uh, we are running the same race. 
the scripture says to run with, with determination, the race that has been set before us. And we do that, you know, this is in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is this long line of heroes and heroines, all these men and women who gave their lives for the cause of Christ. And then it says, and then there were others. We're the others. We too follow Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we come to the table of the Lord and we take the bread and we take the cup and we say, Jesus, you gave your life for me, I give my life for you. And today, as we remember the the legacy of these great Christians who have gone before us, we remember that all that was happening within them was by the power of the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The immutable, unchanging God. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29 says, And also the glory of Israel, referring to the Lord himself, does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Our God is eternally, forever, trustworthy, the same. What he's done in the past, he can do again. And so that's my prayer, Lord, do it again. I I was writing in my notes, Lord, do it again. What you've done for the, you know, for the great revivals and the great movements of God, do it again. And something in the back of my mind said, I've heard that. I've heard that. I remember on 9-11, anybody remember 9-11, where you were? I know some of you weren't even alive in 9-11 over there, but the rest of us. Uh, 9-11, uh, the attack on America. And um, I was pastoring uh, down near Toledo, Bedford Township, Temperance, Michigan. And, uh, we had two prayer services that week. The church was packed. That next Sunday, we had maybe the largest attendance ever in our history because everybody felt the need for God. Remember that? And uh, one of the powerful things that came out of that was Max Lucado's prayer. I said, I remember that. We are sad, Father, for as the innocent are buried, so our innocence is buried. We thought we were safe. We should have known better. So we come to you. We don't ask for your help. We beg you for it. We don't request it. We implore it. We know what you can do. We've read the accounts. We've pondered the stories. And now we plead, God, do it again. Do it again. Remember, Joseph, you rescued him from the pit, and you can do the same for us. Do it again, Lord. Remember the Hebrews in Egypt, your protected children, protected from the angel of death? Lord, protect us again. Do it again. You changed Daniel from a captive into the king's counselor. You took Peter the fisherman and made him Peter the apostle. Because of you, David went from leading sheep to leading armies. Do it again, Lord. Lord, we need counselors. We need apostles. We need leaders. Do it again. You do not waver, Lord. After these days in the dark, after three days, 
in that dark hole. You rolled the rock and rumbled the earth and turned the darkest Friday into the brightest Sunday. Do it again. Do it again. We thank you, Father, for these hours when you have brought our nation together. Disaster has done what discussion could not. Doctrinal fences have fallen. Republicans are standing with Democrats. Skin color has been covered by the ashes of burning buildings, and you have brought us a sense of unity, and we thank you. We thank you for these hours of prayer. The enemy sought to bring us to our knees, but he had no idea that we would kneel before you. And he has no idea what you can do. Look kindly upon your church. For 2,000 years you have used us to heal a hurting world. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Jesus Christ, who is the same, yesterday, today, and forever, our immutable, unchanging, faithful God, will do it again in us and through us as we trust Him and follow Him. As we connect our faith with the faith of those who've gone before. And every time we do even the smallest gesture of, of symbol or uh, of ritual, it connects us back to that. That's what the Lord's Supper does. It connects us back, all the way back to New Testament times. About two years ago now, I did a series of messages on the Apostles' Creed. I'd never done that before. I was struck by how it's an expression of timeless faith. The Bible speaks about the faith that has been committed once for all to the church. Listen to this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from where he will come to judge the, the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Wow. Wow. You believe that? This is our faith. This is our faith. Uh, there's a hymnal in the rack in front of you or under the, under the front of the pew. Would you take it? And we're going to turn in the very back, just inside the back cover, to page 759, where we have the, um, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. page 759, and I'm just going to highlight some of the prayers and sections from this service. Um, about halfway down the first page, it invites the whole congregation to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, who taught us the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> Jesus, that's the right answer, right? Uh, we didn't make that up. Uh, we didn't decide... 
to pray these words or nobody took a vote on. This is from the Lord himself. And so when we pray this prayer, we are part of that great company of saints for all time in all places who have prayed this prayer. Now you'll notice about halfway through, it uh, uses the words debts and debtors, okay? Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A little further down the page, it has the collect. Uh, For me, this is one of the most powerful Christian prayers ever written. Talks about our hearts being open. God knowing our thoughts. And as we come to the Lord's table, it's important to come with a surrendered heart, with true faith. And so we're invited to pray this prayer again in unison together, starting with Almighty God. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are opened, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our heart by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Wow. That we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. I love that prayer. There's something that happens when someone just prays extemporaneously, you know, how they, how they feel led in the moment in their heart. And the prayer is unrehearsed and, and uh, who knows how God might lead it. You know, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. There's also a beautiful thing when we pray a timeless prayer together and we listen to it together and we express it together. John 17 tells us the story of Jesus' last prayer and how he was praying for the disciples. And then it picks up with verse 20, John chapter 17. Jesus said, My prayer is not for them alone. Referring to, again, to the disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So who is he praying for? My prayer is not for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message. So he was praying for everyone who would come to faith through the message preached by the apostles. That would be us. Jesus prayed for you. You know, I, I believe somehow in the heart and mind of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew you. He knew you'd be here today. He knew we would be His faithful followers today. And He prayed for us. That we would love the Father and that we would love one another. 
Isn't that a good prayer? Aren't you glad Jesus prayed that for us? Every time you get a little crosswise with somebody, remember, Jesus wants us to get along. Okay? Jesus wants us to get along. He wants us to be a forgiving community. A reconciling community. And he wants us to, to love one another and love the Father with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So, the music team is going to come and we are going to sing another hymn. And... Um, This hymn that we're about to sing specifically mentions the unchanging God we love and worship. So watch for that in the lyric as we sing. Um, Then we're going to, after the first verse, we're going to open the Lord's table and uh, you are invited to come. As I mentioned earlier, we'll be serving by intinction. So there'll be uh, a set, a cup and a basket of bread at each, at the front of each section. So it typically works better to sort of come up the center and in this case the inner aisle and then go back out the outer aisle and go around. Now, we don't all have to come exactly in lockstep together. If you need a moment to pray or prepare, you go ahead and take your time. Uh, if you need us to, we will also bring communion to where you are. If uh, mobility is a challenge for you, we want to serve you today. Um, In the night of his betrayal, in the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this and feed on me in your heart by faith. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm always moved by the fact that Jesus asked me to remember him. Because humanly speaking, um, wouldn't we always? I mean, if you've met Jesus, wouldn't, wouldn't we always remember him? But we don't. We don't. We get too busy. We let little things and lesser things and other things and sinful things distract us. And so Jesus said every so often, here's what you need to do. Remember me. Take what happened in the past and make it real in this moment. And the way to do it is through something tangible and concrete. It's a piece of bread, but it's more than a piece of bread. It's the fruit of the vine, but it's more than the fruit of the vine. This is my body. This is my blood. And today, we remember him. Lord God, as we come to this, your table, we pray that you would humble us, you would cleanse us, you would renew us, you would strengthen us, give us fresh faith, a faith as timeless as the God who created everything that exists, reaches all the way back to the New Testament, to the the cross, to that empty tomb, 
and is as real and relevant as our last breath. So meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Those who are going to help me serve, you can meet me here while we sing the first verse.